The scripture lesson, which I mentioned earlier, comes from the book of Hebrews. I'll be reading from the 13th chapter, verse 1 through 19. As you hear these words, listen to them in terms of what God might expect in our relationships. Keep loving each other like family. Don't neglect to open up your homes to guests because by doing this, some have been hosts to angels without knowing it. Remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them and people who are mistreated as if you were in their place. Marriage must be honored in every respect with no cheating on the relationship because God will judge the sexually immoral person and the person who commits adultery. Your way of life should be free from the love of money and you should be content with what you have. After all, he has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. This is why we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper and I won't be afraid. What can people do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke God's word to you. Imitate their faith as you consider the way their lives turned out. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be misled by the many strange teachings out there. It's a good thing for the heart to be strengthened by grace rather than by food. Food doesn't help those who live in this context. We have an altar, and those who serve as priests in the meeting tent don't have the right to eat from it. The blood of the animals is carried into the Holy of Holies by the high priest as an offering for sin, and their bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also offered, suffered rather outside the city gate to make the people holy with his own blood. So now let's go to him outside the camp, bearing his shame. We don't have a permanent city here, but rather we are looking for the city that is still to come. So... Let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise through him, which is the fruit from our lips that confess his name. Don't forget to do good and to share what you have because God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. Rely on your leaders and defer to them because they watch over your whole being as people who are going to be held responsible for you. They need to be able to do this with pleasure and not with complaints about you because that wouldn't help you. Pray for us. We're sure that we have a good conscience and we want to do the right thing in every way. I'm particularly asking you to do this so that I can be returned to you quickly. Here is the reading of these words. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The highest expression of what we say we believe is how we treat one another. The ways that we treat one another form together the moral fabric of our society. Friends, we are responsible not only for the ways that we personally treat those closest to us, at home, at work, at church, at school, and the like, but we are also responsible because of our faith in the way of Jesus for what we allow on a broader scale and in the broader setting of our nation and world for that matter.
For those of us, like myself many times, who avoid conflict, we prefer to keep our heads down and just enjoy our own personal space in our lives. This passage of scripture today is rather pesky. In fact, it's one that we would rather avoid if we really get to looking at what this has to say for those of us who prefer just to live life in our own way, in our own space, and not worry too much about the outside world. The author, you see, of this passage is telling a community of Jesus followers that their relationships, that how they treat one another from the very closest relationship at home to the way that they treat leaders, both those, it seems, in church and in the broader society, is not something to keep secret, but is something that must be lived out in public. How we treat one another is the highest expression for Christians of anything we claim to believe. What we tolerate, we perpetuate. We are called to bring the hot white light of justice into every relationship and to shine justice brightly upon each and every relationship in our lives, allowing justice to critique each and every single one of these relationships in this tangled, sometimes illuminous web we seek to weave. We are to ask in our relationships, are we treating one another equally? Are our relationships healthy? Are they mutually loving? Are, are they one-sided? Are our relationships less than on one side or the other? Or do they nurture and seek the very best from both sides? There's a great deal that we do not know about the book of Hebrews and this 13th chapter for that matter. We do not know for sure when it was written. We do not know for sure to whom it was written. We do not know for sure why the book of Hebrews was even written. The book originally was only allowed into the canon, you know, the books selected by committee and called sacred as a New Testament collection, because some thought it was one of the Apostle Paul's writings. Most scholars today do not believe this work is the Apostle Paul's work. Early church scholar Origen was the first to suggest that this work was not Paul's, as far back as 200 years after the time of Christ, regardless of who wrote the book, regardless of when this book was written, or exactly what the agenda was, it might as well have been written last week when it comes to giving instructions about relationships and their absolute importance to people who claim to follow the way of Jesus. Keep loving each other like family. Don't neglect to open up your homes to guests because by doing this, some have been hosts to angels without knowing it. Remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them and people who are mistreated as if you were in their place. Apparently, the community to which this author was writing was having trouble getting along with each other. It seems they were having so much trouble, in fact, they were losing the ability to love one another like family. And you know, it seems the next step after losing the ability to love one another like family is suspicion towards outsiders. Hmm. The author is pleading with the faith community here in Hebrews 
not only to love one another like families, but not to shut their doors, not to shut their hearts to outsiders, to strangers, because when you shut the door to outsiders, you may have just shut your heart in the face of an angel or someone who had something important to show you or tell you. I wonder, when was the last time any of us entertained a stranger? Now, this is a dangerous notion for sure. The last thing I want you to do is to, is to hear this sermon and go home and say, well, the preacher told us to invite over a stranger and pick up a hitchhiker or someone off the street and take them home and get injured. I don't think we have to over-literalize all of this. The last thing I would want to do is for anyone to get harmed, but truthfully, it does not take a whole lot of imagination to begin to apply this scripture towards our attitude as people of faith towards the other, the outsider, the immigrant, the stranger. It does not take a whole lot of creative imagination to apply this kind of attitude even in a person's deeply held political beliefs when it comes to how do we interact with people from other countries. It doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to apply this teaching towards how we act when we find out someone that we're interacting with has a criminal record or when we happen to notice that their skin color is different from yours or mine. It doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to apply this teaching here, this essential Christian teaching towards how we act with someone we do not know, the assumptions that we make about one another when we first meet. Remaining open to entertaining a stranger uh, might well happen when we also remain open to new ideas, when we remain open on purpose to new ways of seeing people who are different than we are, to remaining open to new ways of interacting with one another, hey, maybe even on social media, in civil ways with people we know we disagree with. I think the author is saying that we should fight everything with everything we have to have our hearts and our minds remain open to people and to ideas that are different from us and from our own. This is what justice looks like, I believe, in our relationship to the stranger. As people of faith, we remain open. As people of faith, we recognize that Jesus and his family were immigrants. As people of faith, we recognize that hope came to all of humanity in the form of a brown-skinned, tiny baby boy carried by his unwed mother into a land ruled by political leadership that put profit and domination above human compassion. As a people of faith, we recognize the wisdom and the values that other people, you know, those people, bring into our lives. And as people of faith, if we follow the way of Jesus, we do our best in the posture of our hearts and lives to remain open that we might have something to learn from them. Also in our text today, in verse 4, the author says that faithfulness in the marriage relationship is, all, is worth fighting for. A short but stern warning is given, and I find it interesting that the author, almost without taking a breath, as he's talking or she's talking about marriage, goes on in verses 5 and 6 to discuss greed and materialism right alongside marriage. I wonder if that's a coincidence. 
I think it's a safe bet to make the assumption that it's not a coincidence. So if people who follow the way of Jesus, if justice is important to us, even in the relationships of marriage and romantic relationships, what does marriage, what does a romantic relationship look like when the light of justice is shined on these relationships? At the least, I think the author is suggesting that the person we say we love should mean more to us than the money and the car and the mortgage and all the rest. So the next time we're squabbling with that special someone, maybe we should ask, do we even know what we're fighting about? Maybe, hopefully, we're fighting for a just, shared, mutually loving, equal, beneficial relationship where the person we say we love is clearly honored above whatever stressful circumstance we find ourselves in in the heat of the moment. And continuing to paint the picture of justice in relationships, the author in verse 9 is combating some kind of false teaching, it seems, that is making its way around the community. Verse 9 refers to the, quote, strange teachings out there. If you look closely, it kind of seems like the false teaching that the author is countering has to do with a controversy over priests who were offering up sacrifices during worship, but then who quite practically wanted to eat the sacrifices as a source of food after church. But I wonder, we don't have a lot of that going on today. We don't have sacrifices in here. But I wonder, in what ways do people today take something that should be front and center to the Christian faith and turn it to use it for their own personal gain. I see it happen all the time. Take, for example, compassion, something that should be, can we agree, so central to the Christian faith. Compassion for those who are hurting, compassion for those who are different, something so central to the Christian faith gets set on the sidelines conveniently when Christians try and justify their own business dealings, for example, or their own political leanings because it's easier to just do politics than to follow Jesus. As people of faith, the author is reminding us that that which is central to who we say we are can never be set aside for convenience if we're following the way of Jesus for comfortable or for pragmatic reasons. I think the author would say having a faith and having a walk with God that has integrity is worth fighting for. Faith that is characterized by consistency and integrity is what justice looks like when it shines its hot white light on our relationship to our faith. Now, one of the temptations I face as a minister is to place myself alongside any biblical text that talks about leaders. I tend to do that when I read texts like this. I say, oh, good, they're talking about the pastor, and it's positive. See? As we look at the closing verses of our scripture uh, lesson here today, uh, that temptation is strong with me. You hear the words, rely on your leaders, you know, defer to them. Oh, that sounds good when I'm tired as a minister. The author tells this community that here in Hebrews, leaders, 
Well, at first glance, I thought the author might be referring to pastors or teachers, but I really don't think so when you study it a little bit closer. It, it seems the author has had a hand in developing this faith community at a time before this writing, but now is either separated by distance or some other circumstance. And so I think what the author is actually saying here is rely on those among you who were either assigned leadership roles or who are serving like a leader ought to serve already among you. This is what justice looks like when justice shows up in leadership roles at church. We cannot all be leaders. We should not all be leaders. Some of us would never dream of being a leader. Others would never want to. But justice says, stop fighting for position and follow the ones who are serving. You'll notice the actual word justice did not make an appearance anywhere in these 19 verses. But what you need to know, my friends, about justice in the whole of the Bible is that justice is always about right relationships. Right relationships to God, right relationships to strangers, right relationships to one another's, right relationships to those above and below. So the author of Hebrews is hammering out relationship by relationship in these closing verses of this book what justice looks like in light of these relationships. And what I think he's saying, or she is saying here in these 19 verses, he's kind of painting a panoramic photograph painted by this author to remind the people of God that how we treat one another and what we allow to go on in our attitudes and in our actions in all of life's relationships are of paramount importance, my friends, because together, all of the ways we treat one another weave together to form what we call the moral fabric of our society. We must not neglect our relationships. Every single relationship matters in our lives. The renowned American philosopher, political activist, social critic, author, and public intellectual named Cornel West said, we have to recognize that there cannot be relationships unless there is commitment, unless there is loyalty, unless there is love, patience, and persistence. And West went on to say, never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. Our attitudes and our relationships towards the stranger, toward the immigrant, toward the other. They matter deeply. As people of faith, we are to remain open and engaged with those who are different from us, who come from another place, who have lived life according to another beat from some other drum. Our relationships with our loved ones, our spouses, our significant others, they matter deeply. How we speak to one another, how we treat one another, they matter. Who we look to for leadership and how we relate to them matters. And by the way, how our leaders act, how they speak matters. We wouldn't dream of allowing our children or our spouses, for example, to speak negatively about John McCain, seven months deceased. And Christians, we should be able to put aside Republican Democrat and say, it's wrong to speak ill of the dead. When we come to church, we have to be able to talk and speak the truth to one another. 
We have to be able to know that that kind of rhetoric at the highest levels or at home, either one, in any place in between, is harmful to the moral fabric of our society. We have to love in a way that is bigger than our partisan politics. We have to love in a way that is bigger than the boxes we build for one another. People don't fit the boxes. God doesn't fit the box. Love encompasses all of the boxes. Now, many of us have become accustomed to hearing the word justice and assuming it begins far from home. And in some ways, we are right to assume that justice should happen everywhere. However, justice should happen as much in the home as well in the marketplace, as much in the school locally as it does all across this nation and all of the nations. And as people of faith, we are called to see each and every relationship not as a resource to be leveraged. What can I get from you? What can I offer you in exchange for what you can do for me? But rather, as people of faith, we are called to treasure and to nurture each of the relationships we have been entrusted with. Jesus has drawn the circle wide. Jesus has said, love your neighbor. We say, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> and he says, the stranger, the immigrant, our loved ones, our leaders near and far, the Samaritan, the American, every relationship matters because people matter to God and people matter to us. Justice demands it. Jesus calls us to listen to this. Love is what justice looks like in public and how we treat one another. Every single other is the highest expression of what we say we believe. Love is what relationships look like in the light of justice. Amen.